The Gucci Girl, Prada Professional, Coach Queen, or Target Trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Ritan, principal at Top Sale Strategies, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Ritan. Good afternoon and welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Ritan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week you'll learn how you and your your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Well, first up, uh, a retail study from Marketing Daily on Walmart. Um, Sarah Mahoney says Walmart is positioned to devour the grocery business. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I thought Amazon was positioned to do that. Amazon's eating everybody's shorts these days. Well, according to a new report from Barclays, that's not necessarily necessarily true and there's another report to back that up as well brick meets click love that measures online food shopping patterns and says that while amazon is way out front there's others that are nipping at its heels specifically Walmart. Apparently, Walmart's culture of innovation is, she says, underrated, and it will continue to increase its share of the food business. Um, It's been building out its e-commerce offering and capabilities while turning its stores into efficient omni-channel distribution centers. Apparently, Walmart's recent financial presentations is showing that it's going to have an e-commerce gain of 35% and that it's planning to open a small number of stores as it concentrates specifically on a digital expansion. Right now, all U.S. supermarkets combined have a 30% share of the online grocery market, followed by 13 share from mass merchandisers, including Walmart and Target, and then 11% from online delivery companies like Peapod and Fresh Direct. They said that uh, Barclays and Brick Meets Click says that while 77% of online households buy products from Amazon, only 11% bought any groceries from it in the last 30 days. So there's definitely an opportunity for Walmart to to take on Amazon. It'll be interesting to watch. And right now, supermarkets are in trouble in general, um, as a lot of them focus now on their digital offering. Our purse profile today is the Dior Diva. Nearly a million of these women in her early 60s, a third are grandparents and retired. Median household income of 165K, so they're doing quite well for themselves in retirement. They are confident in their financial security, happy and optimistic. They're taking their free time to explore the arts, other cultures, and entertaining. Um, A lot of them do have second homes, so they're stocking up. Uh, on supplies at Williams-Sonoma, for example. They're shopping at specialty stores stores like Chico's and Ann Taylor and Neiman Marcus. And they're driving Mercedes, Audi, Lexus, and Porsches. So if you're a marketer, how do you connect with this wealthy Dior diva who has money to spend and time on her hands? Well, they're online checking out travel and business sites. They're also um, watching some network programming, although they're more on cable these days. And they're reading magazines like Bon Appetit, Petite, Condé Nast Traveler, and El Decor. Well, my guest today is a New York Times bestselling author. Karen Abbott is the author behind Sin in the Second City, American Rose, and most recently, Liar, Temperest, Soldier, Spy, 
Four Women Undercover in the Civil War, which was named one of the best books by Library Journal. She is going to be coming up at the Miami Book Fair November 11th through 18th, so you can catch her there. But if you can't catch her there, um, you certainly can catch her book online. But before you do that, you're going to want to stick around for my interview with Karen Abbott as we explore four very fascinating women of the Civil War that you may never have heard about before now. Stick around. Purse Strings returns after the break. Her Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. We can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Thanks to an exclusive private offer available for a very limited number of companies. But you must act fast. Email brasco at wmr.fm and get your message delivered now. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Rutan. Welcome back today. Karen Abbott joins me. She's the New York Times bestselling author of Sin in the Second City, American Rose, and her recent book, Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, which was named one of the best books of 2014 by Library Journal. And she has been published in many, many uh, very famous publications like Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Smithsonian Magazine, Salon, to name just a few. She currently lives in New York, where she's working on yet her next book. But you can find her coming up here November 11th through 18th at the Miami Book Fair where she will be meeting with fans and talking about Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy. Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Maria. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I, you know, I, I read your book from front to back and I just found it fascinating mainly because the women themselves featured in uh, your book, The Liar, The Temptress, The Soldier, and The Spy, are all so fascinating. They led such complex, interesting lives, and, and keeping in, you know, in mind the time we're talking about, the Civil War, I just, I guess I didn't expect these women to be so multi-layered. I, the thing I struggle with, I think, the most as I read your book is, why the heck haven't we heard about these women before? Have I been living under a rock? I don't think <laughs> so. Uh, but it seems like at least some of them were famous or infamous, at least while they were alive. Did history forget them? So one of the reasons I wanted to write this book was to resurrect these women um, who had a bigger part in the Civil War that, than many people may realize. 
Um, you know, when people think of women in the Civil War, they probably think of women darning socks and sewing uniforms for the soldiers um, and doing that sort of thing. But I wanted to find women who lied, seduced, wheedled, plundered, spied, drank, avenged, stole, and murdered their way through the war. <laughs> and you found them, for sure. I did. I, and, and, and boy... They are, I keep saying fascinating, but they truly are. And they, they kind of change and morph throughout their lives, which is the other thing. Um, Emma Edmonds is one of them. She pretended to be a man. She was fleeing an abusive home, and she went to serve in the Union Army. You've got Rose Green Show, who was a woman of great beauty and prestige, who used those gifts, I'll just say, to entrance men for information for the Confederacy. You've got Elizabeth Van Lu, who was an abolitionist living in Richmond, of all places, and ran the yeah. Richmond Underground, which was just so interesting about how she was trying to help the Union. And then there's Belle Boyd, who, I'll be honest, <laughs> I struggle to describe her. I mean, she was so headstrong. I have for her. I I call her the 19th century amalgamation of Sarah Palin and Kim Kardashian. Oh, you are so right on. Yes, for, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I just, yeah, I guess headstrong, impertinent, and fixated on men of power. So, yeah, there you go. I think that would work. Um, yeah, and, and sort of um, all id, you know, she had no filter. And she was a fascinating character to me because the war was just a game to her. You know, she was a 17-year-old girl when the war broke out, and it was just sort of, Civil War girls gone wild. You know, she just she just went out and said, I'm going to have fun with this war and, and she did. Oh, she did, big time for sure. And so as I was looking across these four women, I, I was looking for commonalities and there definitely were some commonalities. Can you speak to those? Sure. Um well I did want to pick four women who were um different in important ways. Um, two from the north, two from the south. I wanted women of different ages. Um, women who had different motivations for getting into the war, women who had different approaches of how they should conduct their spying. Um, but their commonalities were they were all passionate about their um, their side winning the war. Um, I did not, of course, agree with Rose Greenhow and Belle Boyd's politics, but um, they had the same passion for the Confederacy that Elizabeth Van Lue and Emma Edmonds had for the Union. Um, and I, I thought it was really important to show how passionate these women were um, the fact that they could not enlist to fight, um, they were going to find any other means available to them um, to try to contribute and to try to help their own causes. Well, and they certainly did, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I, there were also some very large differences between these women as well. What were the biggest differences, do you think, between the four? Well, um, as I, when I'm talking about Val Boyd, you know, she, she really did... Um, sort of view the war as her personal playground um, and I think you know partly due to her age had a very inflated opinion of herself and her importance um, but she, to me she was sort of like comic relief um, mm -hmm. and you contrast somebody like that with Elizabeth Van Lu, who um, I, I, you know I, I cannot stress this enough the North would not have won the war without Elizabeth Van Lu and Mary Bowser um, who is a former servant um, who used to, was born a slave into the Van Lu family, whom Elizabeth succeeded in putting in the Confederate White House as a spy. Um, it was an incredible part of her spying in Richmond, Virginia, you know, having a former um, family, somebody who was a slave, actually operating as a spy right underneath the nose of the uh, president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis. Um, and the incredible danger and risk that they took uh, and faced 
um, to do this are, are cannot be under underestimated. And um, it's a shame that Elizabeth Van Lue is not a household name. Um, she she was instrumental in the Union winning the war and, and um, was without a doubt the best spy that um, that I wrote about in terms of, of her skill and her craft. Oh, correct. And, you know, I really, that was one of the story angles I wanted to know more about, Karen, was what happened to her her slave, who she educated to read, yeah. to write, who had this photographic memory, apparently, who could, you know, recall conversations to the detail, was clearly a very bright woman. And the last I remember reading is she was sent off in a cart to go to go north, right? And I was just dying to know what happened to her. Do you know what happened to her? Well, yeah. I mean, she she faces danger. Obviously, Mary Bowser um, gets into a very um, strenuous and dangerous situation every day. She risks being found out by um, Jefferson Davis or anyone else on his staff. And um, she would have possibly been executed. Um, and she does manage to escape. Um, and she is a, an elusive figure. Um, but I, I talk a little bit about in the book that she found the teaching job um, and was able to educate um, and teach African-American children to read. So, Karen, I mean, I found them to be very unusual for their time. But were they really unusual? I mean, I know Emma Edmonds was just one of, a, of, a, of I think, some few hundred women who personated men and fought in the war, for example. Yeah, that was a really fascinating part of the research. Um, there was an estimated 400 women who enlisted as men and fought for either the Confederacy or for the Union. And I did a lot of research trying to figure out how these women got away with it. Um, you know, when you would show up at these recruiting stations, there were surgeons who were supposed to conduct their medical examinations. But, you know, they had clothes to fill. They needed bodies out there on the field quickly. And so they really only cared if you had um, fingers to pull a trigger, if you had teeth to pull off a power cartridge, and if you had the feet to march. So the women, you know, had no trouble passing these examinations. But then the bigger question is, how did they fool their comrades? You know, they were living in very close quarters with men. There wasn't a lot of privacy. Um, you know, how did they fool these men who, who were with them day and night, um, pretty much every minute? And I came to the conclusion that the biggest reason is because nobody had any idea what a woman would look like wearing pants. <laughs> you know, people were so used to seeing women's bodies pushed and pulled in these elaborate shapes with corsets and crinoline. Um, and the idea of a woman wearing pants, let alone an entire army uniform, was so unfathomable that they couldn't see it even if it were right in front of their face. Um, so just sort of the construct of womanhood and what a woman should look like uh, really aided these women <laughs> as they disguise themselves as men. Oh, I just love that. That's probably right. They wouldn't know it if they saw it, and they didn't for the most part, unless women ended up giving it themselves away, which sometimes they did, as you describe in the book. Um, but, you know, the other thing I noticed is some of these women knew of each other. So, for example, Rose and Bell knew of each other. I don't know if Elizabeth knew of Emma, for example, but there was some overlap between your, your women in the Civil War. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I picked these women. Um, they always seem to be in similar circumstances. They were in the similar locations many times in Richmond or in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, Rose and Belle definitely knew each other. Belle actually idolized Rose in many ways. Um, Rose O'Neill Greenhow was spying on the Army of the Potomac, which, of course, um, Ebba Edmonds was a member of the Army of the Potomac. Um, there's one scene where Belle Boyd is dressing down a Union general, a hated, despised Union general named Butler, 
Um, and in the very next scene, the same General Butler is recruiting Elizabeth to be a Union spy. Um, so I really liked those connections and um, thought it was one of the ways that in which I would, you know, piece this tapestry together and, and um, try to tell the story of the Civil War in a way that hadn't been told before through the eyes of these women and having these overlapping experiences. Yeah, it certainly made it a, a fascinating read because at first you don't even know that they do know each other. And then over time in the book, you start to realize this connectivity that's happening. And it really was quite a small world back in the day, wasn't it? I mean, literally oh, and figuratively. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. uh, even without with the lack of communication that we have today, word still got around about these women, that's for sure. Um, well, people I, like Belle Boyd were not at all shy about talking to the press. I mean... Um, some of my favorite things about Belle Boyd were her interviews. You know, there was one interview where she told reporters she wanted to, quote, occupy Stonewall Jackson's tent and share his dangers. Now, Stonewall Jackson was a famous and very well-regarded general for the South. And um, I, I think the idea of sharing a tent with uh, Belle Boyd would have been more terrifying than anything Stonewall Jackson would have faced from the Northern Army. Um <laughs> But she just sort of said these bold and outlandish things. You know, who, who, what, who could imagine a girl in 19th century, a 17-year-old, saying she wanted to occupy the general's tent and share his dangers? Oh, exactly. Um, <laughs> and she was so bold as to write him as well. So she went, you know, and tried to show up and meet him. So, it, you know, she was, yeah, quite quite the gal uh for That's sure right. i think today you are correct in your um designation if she might be uh, a little bit of uh, kim kardashian in her um <laughs> yeah, for sure i can see it karen we're going to take a quick break and when we come back i do want to talk about your sources for the book and and kind of how you came up with such the rich detail that you did so stick around more from karen abbott when we return in just a moment her strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let WebmasterRadio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. WebmasterRadio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. Welcome back to Purse Strings. I've been chatting today with Karen Abbott. She is an author noted for her New York Times bestselling 
um, publications, but it's her latest book, Liar, Temptress, Soldier, Spy, Four Women Undercover in the Civil War, that brings her to purse strings today and also will take her to the Miami Book Fair starting November 11th. And we've been talking about the characters, which really aren't characters. They're actually real women that um, she brings to life in this book, Emma Edmonds, Rose Green Show, Elizabeth Van Lu, and Belle Boyd. And they're very, very fascinating uh, backstories. You know, one of the things that I found interesting, Karen, in reading your book was this whole spy network. The fact that these all these women all played the role of either soldier or spy in some way and how they elicited information out of their their proxies were was particularly fascinating. Um, and there was a guy that was always on their trail. Can you talk about Pinkerton? <laughs> yeah, it's one of um, the, the things I most um, enjoyed researching was Pinkerton, uh, the famous detective Alan Pinkerton and his uh, family detective agency, the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Um, he was hired shortly after the Union's devastating loss at the first Battle of Bull Run, which the Union thought they were going to win. Um, and Pinkerton was brought in, and he had two tasks. The first task was to try to determine um, Southern troop numbers and positions, which Pinkerton was terrible at this. <laughs> but his second task was trying to ferret out Confederate spies. And at this task, Pinkerton excelled. And one of his first missions was to try to figure out who the spy was who was behind the loss um, at the first Battle of Bull Run. And sources indicated that the woman, uh, Rose O'Neill Greenhow, the Confederate spy, um, was directly responsible for um, providing information and confirming information for Confederate troops and generals that enabled the Confederacy to win at the first Battle of Bull Run. And Pinkerton declares Rose Greenhow public enemy number one and goes out on this stakeout of her um, and begins a sort of cat and mouse game that I had a lot of fun playing with throughout the book. Um, Rose Greenhow was a very smart woman, and she knew how to play Alan Pinkerton and all of the northern, uh, all the northern generals who were trying to um, come after her. Um, and it was sort of a new idea that these men had to grapple with. You know, women were supposed to be victims of war, not perpetrators of war. But the idea was slowly dawning to them that women were not only capable of treasonous activity, um, they were capable of executing it more deftly than men. And it was a new issue that they had to grapple with. And, and Rose Greenhouse played them perfectly. Oh, she sure did. Boy, did she have those men in her palm of her hand. I mean, <laughs> she was able to get the information out of them, no problem. It, it was... It no, it's, it's true. Um, and Rose Greenhow was a notorious seductress. Um, she seduced Union men, Confederate men, it did not matter. Um, and she was very adept, in particular, at seducing high-ranking members of the Union government. Um, one of her sources was Lincoln's Secretary of, the, of Military Affairs. Um, and there were torrid love letters I found in the National Archives between these two. And I think that he was probably one of the sources that enabled her to pass along uh, valuable information to the Confederates uh, before the first valuable run. Yes, these women used every talent that they had to try to push their own agenda. And I, you know, as I was reading your book, it is chock full of information. You've got actual quotes. You have lots of details. So I was curious, you know, did you, what did you do for research? I know three of these women actually wrote memoirs, which I have to imagine that you sourced. But what about Elizabeth, who did not write a memoir? Well, Elizabeth fortunately wrote a diary. Um, and her diary um, is incomplete uh, during the war and toward the end of the war. She uh, panicked and buried a lot of her papers in her yard. 
Um, but those that did remain were found and collected. And her papers are currently at the New York Public Library. And it's interesting that um, whoever curated her papers did not bother to put them back in any order. It, it sort of left them as they were found, which means that they weren't in chronological order and they were sort of all over the place. And I had to sit there and I, I wanted to see the original papers just to um, get a feel for her handwriting. And, and whenever you find a primary source material like that where, where the person that you're writing about 150 years ago actually touched this piece of paper and put, put a pencil on it, um, it makes these people come alive. It's sort of a visceral thrill, and you, you feel like a private detective. Um, and I remember one very um, chilling piece of research I found in Elizabeth's papers. Um, throughout the war, she received many death threats. She was followed wherever she went. Confederate detectives hounded her. Her neighbors um, despised her. She was constantly in fear for her life. And in, in her papers, I found one of her death threats, and it was written in red ink, and it said, old woman, your house is on fire. Give me some of your blood to write with. Mm -hmm. And it was signed with a skull and crossbones. And it was really chilling for me to read that in, you know, 2012 or whatever year I was, I was reading that in a couple of years ago. Um, and I cannot imagine how terrified she was reading that in 1864. Oh, right. And she was alone, basically. She had her brother, right? But really, she was alone, doing all this alone, which made her, I felt, maybe even one of the bravest of the four. I just, oh, without she, a doubt. And, yeah, and she had her brother living in her house with her, but he was married to a Confederate sympathizer um, who would not have hesitated to turn either um, Elizabeth or her brother into the authorities if she suspected that they were working for the Union. So there was always an element of, you know, the enemy is even inside our own house. Exactly. And working against her, for sure. So yeah. um, you talked earlier about the impact of your book, the fact that you're you're hopeful that this book will shed light on these women. Do you feel like it is? Do you feel like people have kind of rallied around the book and celebrated these women that so desperately, I think, need to be celebrated? I hope so. And, I, I you know, I've been gratified. I, I have received a lot of mail from people um, saying I had never heard of these women. Um, why aren't they in history books? And it's a good question. I, I wonder too. You know, why didn't I read about these women in high school when I was studying U.S. history of the Civil War? Um, and you know, so so any time that you get to talk about it and um, share their experiences, um, it's really gratifying just to just to try to let as many people as possible know that these women existed and they had an impact. Well, and clearly, uh, hopefully these books are going to be selling like hotcakes. They have been, I'm sure, and, and hopefully after the Miami Book Fair as well. I want to remind everyone that they can go online to learn more about Karen and her books. Karen Abbott, A-B-B-O-T-T dot net. Go there to check her out. And Karen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks to my producer, George, and join me next week for another edition of Purse Strings, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.